This podcast deals with Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. This is our first session, and we will be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1, to 3 Corinthians, verse 3. Hopefully you watched the video, Rick Steves' introduction to the Apostle Paul. Um, if you haven't, I would encourage you to take a look at it. But if, if you don't have time to do that, at least take a map, take a look at a map and just note where Corinth is. It's in Greece. There's still a city of Corinth in Greece. At the time of Paul and Jesus, Greece was part of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire encompassed uh, almost all of the coast around uh, the Mediterranean. It included northern Africa, the Middle East, Turkey, and went up into Europe. Its inhabitants, uh, the inhabitants of Corinth, were nearly all Greeks. There were very few Jewish people there, if any. So they were pagans, or what the Bible calls Gentiles. Greek culture valued knowledge and thought. And so the Greek culture, even though it was um, in Rome, um, infused the whole area. And so that's why we often talk about Greco-Roman culture, because the two are very much intertwined for much of world history. When you think of ancient Greek scholars, you think about the ancient mathematicians like Euclid. You think of poets and philosophers like Aristotle and Socrates. You might think of Hippocrates, the ancient physician. Maybe you'll remember that the Greeks basically invented democracy. In fact, ancient Greece is often considered the cradle of Western culture, our own culture. So when we think about Western culture, our own culture, what are some of the things that we value? In our class, we came up with a list that includes money, power, mega anything. We, we value big size, big houses. We value sports, movie celebrities, um, and other kind of celebrities. We uh, value the hard work and the work ethic, we value family, we value education, we value our military and military service. And so those are some of the things that, uh, that we think of um, that have great value. And then we talked a little bit about what we think are characteristics of rulers. Yeah, we also talked a little bit about the fact that we, what we have are, in this country are more leaders as opposed to rulers. But when we think of um, the ideal characteristics of a ruler, again, we often think of things like strength and the power to get things done. Uh, we hope that rulers and leaders uh, are, work for the people and that are honest, but recognize that sometimes that doesn't happen. Um, we agreed that we, uh, when our rulers go to battle, we want them to win. Next, we're going to read First uh, Corinthians eighteen to First uh, Corinthians one eighteen to, to chapter two verse five. And I'll just say this at the beginning: the heart of the gospel is that the crucified and risen Christ is our Lord, the ruler of creation. And so we're going to think about the values that we talked about, and then we're going to read um, this and just think about some of the contrasts. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will, I will frustrate. Where are the wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, 
a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved... To know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So the next thing is to think just a little bit about why the story of Jesus would be foolishness for Greeks. If we imagine some of the values that Greek culture had, wisdom, um, intelligence, the ability to debate debate eloquently, power, strength, which was uh, important not only to Greek culture but especially to Roman culture, it sort of flies in the face of preaching Christ crucified. There are lots of layers of meaning that religion has put on the cross over the centuries, but at its heart, the cross was an instrument of execution, and people who wound up on one were not considered powerful or strong. They're the ones who lost. Obviously, God turns that around, but for at this particular point, Paul is making the um, assertion that preaching Christ crucified is where this begins, and it begins at a point of humility. Paul also says Christ crucified was a scandal for the Jewish people. The Jewish people were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting one sent from God to save them. But they were expecting a king like David, also a warrior. They needed some sort of sign that Jesus truly was that Messiah. And honestly, crucifixion just really didn't fit in the picture. Next, we're going to read um, 1 Corinthians 2, 6-3-3. Um, You can either listen to me read it or just read it on your own. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, these things God has prepared for those who love him. For God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit within? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who was from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, 
explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere human beings? Paul talks here about the flesh versus the spirit, which comes up in in some of his writings. So I just want to clear up a a little misconception to start with. Um, There was an ancient heresy um, in early Christianity that was called Gnosticism. And that split people, in a sense, into spirit and flesh. It was very dualistic. Spirit was considered pure, pure and good, and flesh was the source of evil. In Gnosticism, then, the goal or salvation, the goal is, uh, for salvation is to obtain some special knowledge or insight that would, able one, would a- enable one to escape the body and so be pure spirit. Greek thought did actually tend to think that dualistically about people. The flesh was bad and the spirit was good, and the goal was to be pure spirit. But that's not how Paul or any of the Jewish people see it. For the Jews, spirit, soul, mind, body were all one. When Paul talks about the spiritual, he's talking about people whose whole being is infused with God's spirit, and therefore how they live is fueled by God's spirit. And this passage tells us that it's only spiritual seeing that enables us to see the cross as a gift. Only through the work of the Spirit within us can we see the cross as something other than just an instrument of torture and execution. And the Spirit is who gives us the ability to see a crucified Christ as ruler of all creation. This will become important as we talk more about the conflicts in the Corinthian community. So as you think about this, what do you think are the characteristics of a mature Christian community? Paul talked about, um, talked about that, that the Christians are not mature. Um, so what does make a, mere, a mature Christian community? Um, talk about that, and uh, we'll pick up next week. Thank you.